and good morning. Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Anchor FM and Spotify and some of the other platforms that we broadcast on here at Sunshine USA. It's a great joy to have you uh, tuned in. It's a rainy day here in Greenville, South Carolina. In fact, I'm looking out my bedroom window right now as I record this program. And guess what? The rain is still coming down. It's been raining all night long. But that's a good thing. This is a time of the year when we need to stock up on the rain because in the summertime here in Greenville, South Carolina, we don't get so much. So <laughs> it's good to get a surplus during this time of the year that we can so that we have enough moisture in the ground to get us through the rest of the year. But I hope it's great weather wherever you are. And of course, any day is a great day to get into the Word of God and to study the Word of God to see what it has to say to us. Uh, you know, the Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. I am convinced of that now as much as I've ever been, even more so. And, um, and I know that the Bible is the only book that can really change a life. Uh, there, there's been, in the history of this planet, there's been a lot of great books written. But none have changed lives near as much as the Bible has. And that's because the Bible can make a claim that no other book can make. And that is the fact that it is God's word. And it is the only book that can claim to be the infallible, inerrant word of God. Amen? Amen. Well, today we're going to be in... Uh, Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. Uh, how many of you have heard the Bible story about the prodigal son? Well, I'm sure many of you have. Many of you uh, can remember back in Sunday school when you were a child, you heard a Bible story about the prodigal son. And probably down through the years, you've heard quite a few sermons on the prodigal son. But I'm convinced this is a story that has a great application to us today, just like it did then. We read here in um, Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11, he says, And a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent it all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him unto the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And he said unto himself, He said, How many hired servants? Uh, my father had bread enough and to spare, and I perished with hunger. And he says, I will go to my father's house, and I will say unto him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Now, I, I want to stop there for just a moment. I want you to get the picture. This man has two sons, a younger son and an older son. And the younger son says to his father, Dad, I want you to get up all the money that I'm entitled to, and I want you to give it to me, and I'm leaving. Now, you have to understand, back in these days, the eldest son, not the youngest son, the eldest son got the lion's share of the father's estate when the father died. But that doesn't mean that the younger son wouldn't get anything. The younger son knew that even though his older brother would get the bulk of his father's estate, he realized that he was entitled to something. And he says, Father, take all that I'm entitled to, give it to me now, and I'm getting out of here. Now, I've studied this passage of Scripture for many years, and I've also down through the years consulted with many commentaries, many of them by men who have far more Bible knowledge than I have, and the conclusion is that there was no legal requirement for the father here to do what the son has asked him to do. The father could have insisted, you know, son, you're entitled to a certain portion of my estate, but you don't get a thing until I die. Father could have said that, but he didn't. He says, okay, son, I'm going to go ahead and give you your part of the estate now. And as promised, the son leaves. And he goes into a far country. He decides, man, I'm going to get just as far away from my father as I possibly can. And as you can understand, he squanders that money in no time at all. Now, you know, it's very interesting. I, I, I read stories about how people win the lottery here in this country. And when I read these stories about the lottery and people that win millions of dollars, and by the way, most of them, want all of their money up front. Very few of them take the option where the money is paid out to them over a 30-year period. Now, I'm not a gambler. I'm not a gambler. I don't believe in gambling. But if I did, I would probably have my winnings paid out over a 30-year period. First of all, it means that I'm not going to be able to spend it all at one time. But most people, when they win the lottery, they want their money up front. They want it all at one time. And many of them, within a year or two, are flat broke. Now, one of the problems is here they are winning all this money, and they don't know how to manage it. And therefore, the money is gone in no time at all. But that's what happens to the younger son here. He squanders his money. And then he decides, you know what, I better look for a job. So he joins himself 
to a citizen of the country that he's in. And this man puts him to work on a pig farm. Now, bearing in mind, this son almost certainly is Jewish. His whole family is Jewish. Now, if you know anything about Jewish laws and customs, then of course you know that Jewish people do not eat pork. The law of Moses actually prohibited them from eating pork, and for good reason. Uh, then, as now, the pig was considered a very dirty, unclean animal. Now, back several years ago, I was working in a very large grocery store, part of a national chain of grocery stores. And my job was in the produce department. And whenever produce got out of date or spoiled or got rotten, we would put it into a special bin that we would then take outside and put into a special dumpster. And some of the other food departments in the store did the same thing. The bakery did this. I think the deli did this. We all took food that had gone bad, and a lot of it spoiled, some of it even molded, and it's put into a bin, it's carried outside, and it's put into a special dumpster, and guess what? It is sold to pig farms, and the pig farmers take that, and they feed it to their pigs, and the pigs eat it, and it doesn't even phase them. <laughs> If you and I ate that slop, it would kill us, probably. If not, it would put us in the ER. Amen. But the pigs, they eat that stuff, and it doesn't faze them. And guess what? You're eating that stuff every time you eat products that come from a pig, whether it be sausage, bacon, pork chops, whatever. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I never have figured that out. How can... A pig eats so much spoiled, ruined food, and it doesn't even make them sick. It certainly doesn't kill them. And then we turn around, we eat sausage and bacon and pork chops, and it doesn't faze us. <laughs> Apparently, the pigs have some kind of amazing filtering system. Amen. But here he is working on a pig farm. Now you could imagine that's probably the last place in the world that a Jewish man would want to be found working on a pig farm. And in fact, the slop that they were feeding to these pigs, this man says, hey, you know, that stuff looks pretty good. You know, it's amazing when you get hungry how the simplest stuff that normally you would never eat, all of a sudden it looks pretty good. Whereas uh, if you are filled to the brim, then even a steak dinner is not going to be enticing to you. Amen. So then this young man comes to a census. He begins to realize, he said, you know, my, my father's hired hands. They have more food and better food than this to eat and a lot of it left over as well. And here I am perishing with hunger. Now, of course, that was probably an exaggeration. I don't think he was literally perishing with hunger. But 
I don't question for one minute. He was hungry. And then he says, you know what? I better go back home. And he's already giving thought as to what he's going to tell his father. He can't begin to realize what he's going to tell his father. I mean, most fathers, if the younger son came back like this, they wouldn't take him in. They wouldn't have anything to do with him. They said, son, you made your bed, now you've got to lie in it. But he says, Father, I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against God. And he says, I want to come back, but not as your son. I want to come back as a lowly hired servant. Notice the amazing change in attitude that this younger son has. He's no longer saying, you know, Dad, give me this. Dad, give me that. Now he is saying, Dad, just take me back. Treat me as you would any servant that you have. So he's put a lot of thought into what he's going to say. Now let's get back to the scripture. It says, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, this is in verse 20, and he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again, was lost, and now he is found, and he began to be merry. That's in verse 24. Now I want you to notice the reaction of the father. The father sees his son coming afar off in a great distance. I can imagine this father's estate was probably on a mountaintop to some degree. And therefore he could look out and on a clear day he could probably see for miles. And he looks down this one particular road, which was probably the only road you could take to get to his father's house. And guess what? He sees his son, his younger son, coming from afar off. <clears throat> Notice the attitude of the father. We are told here the father had compassion on his son. Now this made him a lot different from maybe the way some of the fathers today would be. A lot of fathers today, they wouldn't move an inch toward their son. They would wait until he walked all the way to the front door, knocked on the front door, and then they would say something like, what are you doing here? You made your bed, now lie in it. That's the attitude this father could have had. But no, he has compassion on his son. He gives him a great big old bear hug. Makes him feel loved and welcomed. 
And then he tells his servants, let's get the best robe we have and let's put it on the son and let's put a ring on his finger. And now what the father is doing by putting the ring on his younger son's finger, he is indicating this son is now a member of the family. Not a hired servant, a member of the family. And then he tells his servants, let's get the fatted calf. And man, we're going to have a big feast. We're going to have a feast like we haven't had in a long time. We're going to have a celebration that just won't quit. And of course, it appears the servants do exactly as they're told. Now you can imagine how the son feels. He can't believe his good fortune. To have a father who, in spite of what he's done, still loves him. Now, now let me tell you something, folks. We've got people listening to this broadcast right now. Some of you have wandered far away from God. Some of you, you were raised in a Christian home, but man, you have wandered all kinds of far distance away from home. I got news for you. No matter what you've done, no matter how many sins you have committed, no matter how wicked you have been, no matter how evil you've been, God still loves you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he welcomes you with open arms. <laughs> what a celebration. You would think, well, everybody in that property, they're having a party and they're having a good time, but not everybody. Now we come to the oldest son. And we find out, as we read further in this chapter, we find out that the eldest son is not happy at all. In fact, the eldest son refuses to come to, to the party. The oldest son refuses to welcome his brother home. And so he stays outside the house while everybody inside the house is partying. And then he says, you know, I am really ticked. He says, you know what, my father, he says, my father doesn't realize that I'm the one that stayed with him. I didn't demand all my share of the money now. I stayed with my father. I continued working on my father's estate. I was the good son. I didn't sin against my father the way my younger brother did. But you see, the attitude of this older brother is all wrong. <laughs> and, and you know, people really haven't changed any. You know, I am told by people that have studied psychology for many years, they say, you know, the interesting thing here is that people don't change. They really don't. They don't change. They never do. 
we have people today, you know, uh, they see a homeless man on the side of the road and he's holding up a sign, we'll work for food. And you know what we're thinking? We're thinking, why doesn't that man haul off and get a job? Why doesn't that man go to work? If he'd work half as hard at a job as he does holding up that sign, man, he might have something. Now, I know there's something to that argument. But is that really the attitude that you and I should have as children of God? And I say absolutely not. As I've said on this program many times, every time I see a homeless man on the street, he's holding up a sign, we'll work for food. You know what? I realize, except it be for the grace of God, that could be me. And by the way, I didn't begin this message with the idea of it being autobiographical, but I know a little bit about what it is to be homeless. I know what it is to have to move out of an apartment because you can't afford to pay the rent. I've been there, folks. But I'm also someone who knows what it is to have a loving Heavenly Father who no matter how far away from God we drift, God still loves us, he still cares for us, and he still has a wonderful and exciting plan for our life. That's why I could get in front of this radio microphone right now, this morning, and I can assure you that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God still loves you. And if you're a Christian listening to this voice, and especially if you're a pastor or some other church leader. We must, as a church, have compassion for the poor. It's mandatory. We must needs have compassion for the poor. We must recognize that if it weren't for the grace of God, that could be us and not somebody else. So if I see a person in need, you know what? If I have any money to give them, I'm going to give it to them. Now you might be thinking, Warren, you're stupid if you do that. Well, let me tell you something. God's word, and by the way, this is a point where if you disagree with me, man, you're disagreeing with the word of God. If I see a person in need, the Bible says I have to help that person or I commit sin. Now that person may squander what I give them or they may put it to good use. That's between them and God. My part, my duty, my responsibility is to do what God has told me to do. Now I'll tell you what genuine ministry looks like. Genuine ministry is where you do something for someone who can't possibly do anything for you. This is where a church says, you know what? 
We're going to minister to the homeless. We know these people. They don't have a dime to give to our ministry, but you know what? We're going to help them anyway. And when you help them in the right way, chances are the day is coming when they will be prosperous and then you can't imagine how much money they might one day give to the church, even though they can't give anything right now. Amen. I'm very excited. I don't know about y'all, but I get very excited when I uh, read the reports about this revival going on at Asbury University. I think it's in the town of Wilmore, Kentucky in the hills of Kentucky. And when I get on Facebook, I'm amazed at how many people are upset about this revival. In fact, I, I saw one post by someone who is just furious that this revival is taking place at Asbury University. You know why? Because it's not happening at his church. And some people say, well, these people aren't worshiping God the way I worship God. You know, that may not even matter to God. Some people say, well, I don't think they have the right kind of music. Some people say, I might, they might not have the right kind of preaching. These are Pentecostal people. They speak in tongues. I'm not like them. Therefore, this revival they're having, it can't possibly be real. Oh, yes, it could be. And I like what one of the young people said. You know, they said that this revival happened in a college chapel service. Now, I don't know about you. When I went to college, we had chapel services that we were required to attend. And we had to go to chapel at least once or twice a week. And when I was in seminary, we had to go to chapel three times a week. And I tell you, it was a chore getting people to come to chapel, even when I was at seminary. Now the seminary, in its infinite wisdom, they decided not to make chapel attendance mandatory but they did close everything down on campus. All the eating facilities were closed. The post office was closed. The student center was closed. You couldn't do nothing but go to your dorm room or go to chapel. And it's amazing how many people chose not to go to chapel. I mean, these are people that are going into the ministry. They feel like God has called them to preach, and you can't even interest them in going to chapel. Now, sometimes it's because in chapel, some of the speakers were a little bit on the dry side. Some of these speakers were overly intellectual in some cases. But here at Asbury University, we find the students go to chapel and they don't want to leave. And some of them have been in that chapel service now for over a hundred hours. And we wonder why they're having a revival and we're not. You know, in this country, it's hard to get people to go to church one morning a week. 
I'll tell you what, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. But if I were a pastor, let me tell you what I would do. We would have three services a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But even in churches where they have but one service a week, it's hard to get people to turn out. In fact, most churches, they don't have revivals anymore. They don't have revivals anymore. And they say, well, we're not going to have revivals anymore because people are too busy. People have schedules that are just too busy. I tell you, back in my day, when our church had a revival, and the church where I grew up, we had four revivals a year on average. A little less some years, even more other years, but on average, about four revivals or Bible conferences a year. And basically, these were week-long meetings. These are week-long meetings. And we were encouraged to come every single night. And back then, many churches had pretty good crowds every single service. And you know, the thing about it is, we have all these modern devices now that make work so much easier. Back in those days, people had to do more manual labor People got physically more tired at work than they do today. And yet today people get off work. Oh, I can't go to church. I'm too tired to go to church. But man, you let a ball game be scheduled for tonight. And man, they'll get in that car and they'll go to the stadium every time. You can't imagine how much money they're going to get, when, how much money they're going to be paying out when they go to the stadium. But they'll go. Sometimes I feel like telling those people, well, aren't you tired? Didn't you have a hard day at work? Oh, yeah, but man, this is different. This is a ball game. <laughs> well, if we could go to a ball game, tired as we are, don't you think we could go to church more than once a week? I think we should. In fact, the Bible says in the last days, we should go to church more often, not less often. <laughs> I feel it now. I'm stepping on some toes. <laughs> of course, that's okay. I wasn't aiming for your toes. I'm aiming for your heart. We've got some hearts that have to change in this country before we're going to see a heaven sent revival. These students at Asbury University, right now they care more about God and the things of God than they do anything else, whether it's going to class, going to a restaurant, changing clothes, taking a shower. Hey, God's number one. That's why God is blessing them with the revival. You think these students don't have other things to do? Do you think they don't, some of them, do you think they don't have jobs to go to? Of course they do. They're saying God is more important. Right now, I'm going to get things right with God. 
then everything else is going to fall into place. Amen. I tell you, this is an exciting story in the Bible. And like I say, it, it has a powerful message and a powerful application to those of us living today. Well, I want you to know that if you haven't read Matthew chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, which is the rest of the chapter, I hope that you'll go ahead and read those verses in their entirety. Now, if you have any Bible study questions or if you have any prayer requests, the best way to contact me is by email. And I have two email addresses you can choose from. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. And the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word. And if you want to contact me by snail mail, the old-fashioned way, you could do that. My snail mail address is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Now, that apartment number is very important. If you don't put the right apartment number down, I won't get it. Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And by the way, if you haven't done so already, make it a regular habit to pray for this ministry. Um, I, I did a video on Facebook yesterday. I don't know how many of you are friends of mine on Facebook. Normally, I would invite you to join my Facebook page. The thing about it is... I have 5,000 friends right now, and Facebook cuts you off at 5,000 friends. Once you get 5,000 friends, they'll say, okay, you can't add any more friends. But on my Facebook page yesterday, I did a video, and I shared about some of the things I want to do with this ministry. One of the things we're going to do as early as next week, I'm going to be making a phone call to um, Asbury University, and I want to discover firsthand what is going on at the revival in Asbury University. And hopefully I'll get to talk to both people in the administration as well as students and get some firsthand reports on what God is doing there in Kentucky. And I also shared on another post on Facebook this week that one of the things I'm wanting to do is to teach myself how to play a guitar. I mean, I'm not talking about anything fancy or elaborate. I, I want just a simple, good old-fashioned acoustic guitar. And by the way, if you want to donate a guitar to me, that would be welcome. Just send me an email and I'll tell you how you can get it to me. <laughs> Amen. And, but I want to learn how to play a guitar. I think it would be so wonderful if I could play my guitar on this very radio program and try to introduce today's generation to the hymns that I grew up with. You know, I'm one of these people. I, I like all kinds of Christian music. I like uh, contemporary Christian music. I like Southern gospel. I like the good old-fashioned hymns. I like Christian instrumental music. You name it, I love it. 
I love it. I love it. I want more of it. Amen. But I hope that you will uh, contact me. Pray for this ministry. I would like very much for this year to be a year of expansion here at Sunshine USA. Until then, God bless you, and you have yourself a really great day. And don't fret none, because you see, I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.